Every week on this show, we talk about the science impacting your world, the headline-making science news that warrants a step back and a conversation with someone to help us figure out what's going on. But have you ever wondered what else we don't talk about? Well, so do we. Welcome back to the weekly Sideshow, where we hope to cover just that and update you on the science news you didn't know you needed. I'm Thanishwari Rajendran. And I'm Jun Kim. And today we're going to get up to date on everything from fish in the tropics to emojis in another discussion on the sidelines. So Jun, what's the first wonderful piece of information you have for us today? So this comes from the world of renewable materials, and hopefully this can be something that we use a lot more in the future. Scientists have discovered, or not discovered, more kind of invented something they call basically the plastic that is two times stronger than steel. That's what they're calling it. Interesting. It's, it's called something very scientific. It's called 2DPA1, uh, as many scientific naming notations go. But what this stands for is two-dimensional polyamorid one, which isn't particularly helpful. But basically the way it works is it has a structure in terms of like it's this molecular structure and the way everything is arranged is actually very structurally similar to kevlar so obviously it's plastic uh not actually kevlar but like the comp- composition of this new plastic is similar to kevlar and kevlar notably is the material that makes bulletproof vests so you can kind of get the idea of just being more stable and sturdy and so they did load tests uh, and they're twice as strong as steel and they are much lighter and also one sixth of the bulkiness. So there's a lot of benefits to be talked about here. Oh, for sure. That's what I was going to ask. Is it like as heavy as steel? Like, do you have to lug around like a plastic that pretty much looks and weighs such as like using basically a steel item? Yeah, I mean, that would be actually quite annoying if it was, but it, it is lighter. And more importantly, it actually also takes less energy to make than glass or steel itself. So this plastic is not only more durable, it is also very, very uh, just re- it's also recyclable, which is awesome. Like I'm just oh. saying all these things. It just sounds like this is a miracle. I know it sounds like the miracle material of the future that yeah. we should know about. What do you yeah. use it for? So basically what they're looking at right now is is very preliminary. I'm just saying all these benefits about this particular compound right now, but they don't really know how this will hold up against like weather. So like, let's say we built a house with it. We don't know how it's going to deal with weather and natural, not natural disasters per se, but just the natural elements. Uh, They don't know like if it reacts well with paint. I don't know. Some people like to paint their houses. Uh, So there's a lot of question marks up in the air but this kind of seems like a very promising uh compound in general it's still in development yeah Uh, it's like a good alternative but i'm like oh well i'm kind of concerned because like it is another form of plastic and we're trying to get away from it but like i guess it does have its benefits 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm just happy that it's recyclable. That's pretty yeah, good. It's no. also very interesting because I really like this concept. We have a housing crisis in many parts of North America where oh housing God, is just ridiculously <laughs> expensive. So people are saying that this could actually be used to create cheaper housing, which I think is an awesome idea. Obviously, we're a lot of steps away from this so far. Yeah. But they also say you can use this for sturdier packaging, which is probably beneficial for a lot of like manufacturing and shipping industries. So a lot of promise. But again, very preliminary. This is just one of the first papers, I think, that's come out about this particular mm-hmm. product. But uh, yeah, it's, it's very cool. No, it sounds very cool. And the on the note of like recycling and like climate change in general, let's talk about fish in the ocean. So did you know, June, that 85% of coral reef fish are being overfished and i'm talking more specifically in the context of like north america near where florida is wow so 85 percent. yes 85 percent of fish in that region in like those coral reefs so what happened was that a team of researchers from like the university of miami decided to study like the reef species about like 15 different species in that region so they had like a couple of groupers and snappers and they found that they're being overfished and do you want to think i guess into what was the biggest driving force of these species being overfished are it's it's got to be like the like food industry right like just eating these these fish yeah it was the seafood industry because like i think i guess like snappers are very popular kinds of seafood species So this has been going on for like the last 30 years in South Florida or like where the fish species are usually fished for in that region. So what scientists decide to do, you know, since like we can't magically recover these numbers instantaneously, let's make a blueprint to efficiently like You know, you can't stop the industry, but at the same time, you need to make sure that you're able to, like, recover the fish that you have lost. Right, right. Otherwise, you just kind of go out of business. There's no more fish in the sea. Exactly. And also, I think we're all tired of fish or any species on this planet is just going extinct. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so they came up with, like, this blueprint to reestablish or rebalance the population in like the next few years so basically this blue paint kind of tells you like how many fish to take from the sea per like fishermen or like per year per location kind of thing and that just kind of got me thinking you know i don't know if you know this but i'm from the tropics and like the ocean is like a huge part of me growing up so this is always very dear topic to me and we like always hear about like climate change issues and like ice melting like we talked about last week so seeing another element of like climate change associated with that is like oh you know it it hurts to see it hurts to see yeah and like coral fish like just reef fishes in general are very very interesting i find yeah so short attention spans Quick shift because uh trying to make a little bit of a joke here. When we have all of these short attention spans, we go from topic to topic trying to jump from thing to thing. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with TikTok, right? Oh my god, I love TikTok. Great, uh, I do too. And uh, you know, everyone else is trying to copy TikTok, like Instagram Reels, YouTube Shorts. 
but did you know even like Netflix? Have you seen this on the Netflix's mobile app? Have you seen Fast? No, apps? there's a Netflix mobile app. <laughs> yeah, so so on the Netflix mobile app, they have something called Fast Laughs. And basically, it's like TikTok, but just for like clips of Netflix shows. And they try oh to like quickly God. show you a bunch of Netflix shows and clips to try and get you to start binging a new show. It's crazy. Like every social media online tech company is doing this like short form video. Oh my God. Honestly, these days. that sounds like a great idea. Like June, like being able to win through all these shows. You know how much time I think people in general spend looking for shows in Netflix, but that's so cool. Oh yeah. I, I think, I think it's a really good idea. I, I'm sure it actually probably even works, but this actually is basically just one big story of the fact that we all have short attention spans now. The fact that, you know, it's, it's interesting, right? Why is it that when we watch 60 of these 30 second videos, we're like, oh, this is great. But for some reason, we can't watch one 30 minute video. It's the same time. That's both 30 minutes. But if it's one 30 minute video, we say, oh, that's just, just way too long. So Johan Hari has written a new book. It's called Stolen Focus. And in this book, he's talking about why he thinks there's a bunch of short attention spans, why people are now just unable to pay attention the same way they were able to before. And there's a really, really cool term that he calls it. I really like this. And he calls it manufacturing mass distraction by the media. So what's what's meant by this is that like media, whether that be like social media, whether that be news sources, whatever that might be, they're intentionally cycling stories just rapidly because they realize that people want to see what's next. People want to see what's new. So even when you look at a lot of these like social justice movements like BLM and the hashtag Me Too movement, they're getting cycled out of the normal broadcast media stories very, very quickly, uh, perhaps like like too quickly. And this is one of the concerns he kind of brings up. And it's because he says social media needs daily content. Everyone needs a reason to stay on their phone. And social media companies, they're just trying to keep up their profits by keeping you on their phone, on your phone as long as possible. And they just found out that the best way to do this is just to continually throw short spurts of content at people. And since now that's what we're used to, that's just now what we expect. This is just what we want these days. So that's yeah. his theory. Now that you mention it, like I do realize that almost every like social media platform has their own version of like the Instagram story or right, like- that too. Yeah, and like the TikTok version, you know? It, it's crazy how everything's kind of just evolving to like do the exact same thing, but just on every different platform. Yeah, uh, oh my God. <laughs> and, and he mentioned something really cool, uh, which is that another thing that might be contributing is that people are sleeping less and less. Like apparently these are taken like statistics from the United States. People are sleeping uh, substantially less than they should be like maybe it's because they're just on their phone uh but apparently the like there was a study and apparently 19 hours awake in a row is the same attention level of being legally drunk so there's a very high correlation to the fact that people are sleeping less and less and just attention spans being shorter but also the fact that you know media is crafted in such a way that they're always trying to distract us move on to the next thing yeah, and I guess, like, using your phone constantly and being intrigued by the next story keeps you awake. Like, I think I personally also do not get enough sleep per day just because, like, I'm 
either working, but like, truth be told, I'm also always on my phone. Yeah, I have to admit too. Like, <laughs> there's so many times <laughs> I should be, you know, going to sleep at a certain hour, and then I spend just one more hour up on my phone, just looking through all of these short content forms, right? Exactly. Like TikToks, it's very TikTok, Instagram reels, all that. And like talking from attention span and like manipulating media into keeping you on your phone. Let's talk about manipulating cells mm. into working in your body. Okay. You like that segue? I love that segue. That's so smooth. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. So basically what happened is that a group of scientists were able to pinpoint a sound sensitive protein in mammalian cells that they can control using ultrasound. So now to put it more in like more simply, basically they found this protein and what it does is that it is a very sensitive protein to low frequency ultrasounds, but it's also a channel protein. So previously researchers have only been studying this as like a channel protein. So what a channel protein one of its function as a channel protein is basically to like activate different functions of the cell, but never in the context of its low frequency like sensitivity. So when I say low frequency sensitivity, what it really means is that you have a cell in a dish. So imagine that. Okay. And then you decide to like stimulate it using ultrasound like yeah ultrasound waves and then the star the cells start become active or this protein specifically causes the cell to become active so now why this is important is because this could be a new form of non-invasive version of deep brain stimulation pacemakers oh, wow. and like insulin pumps so it's like a non-invasive method now That's crazy. Brain yeah, it's amazing. So it's almost like a story. So this researcher is very interested in like this area of research and finding these sound sensitive um, proteins. And he found one in roundworms. And he everyone, well, I guess him and his team were very excited about it, but they found that this only worked in roundworms and they couldn't move it to like mice or other mammalian cells. So, and then they went on to search again for like a mammalian cells. So that's when they found TRPA1, the channel protein I was talking about earlier, in like human cells. But now they wanted to test it out whether or not it's capable of deep brain stimulation. So what they did was that they genetically modified the gene of this channel protein into the neurons of a living mice. Okay. And then basically they stimulated the um, brain of that mice with different like waves of sound from the ultrasound waves. And they found that they were able to basically activate the neurons with that biomarker, with that channel protein in it. So you're telling me that these scientists have found a way to basically, I, I know it's not like the sound that we hear normally with our ears, but pretty much just using sound to activate things and basically manipulate things the way they want things to go in mice. 
Exactly. And like, well, yeah, they're in like the animal model kind of stage of the experiment, but like mm-hmm. the amount of things you can come out from with this research is just insane. Like right now they're focusing a lot in like deep brain stimulation, which is like in the future could be a potential treatment for Parkinson's disease. Oh wow. Or like any like neural like related disease. Right. So. Where Procedures might be invasive and also like as a pacemaker, because like if you have that gene in the cells of your heart and you're someone with a heart condition, instead of having like a physical pacemaker in it, you have cells with these proteins in it that you can use. That's crazy because I've heard about like music therapy, about how if you listen to music, you might be in a better mood. But this is taking sound to a whole nother level. Like we're using sound not to just make ourselves like feel better, but as actual treatments to try and deal with particular conditions, help people even survive and live. Like that's a really cool application of just something that we would never consider as a cure, like sound, right? Yeah. Do you want to take a guess into what is the sub area of genetics that involves sound sensitive cells called or modifying them? I would have no idea. I don't even know where I'd start with a guess like that. <laughs> it's called sonogenetics. Wow. Makes sense. That does make sense now you've said it's it. It's like sonar, but like sono. Yeah, right. Oh. Right. But yeah, that is really cool. And I can't wait to see the applications that it comes with. But like just reading through the paper. Yeah, it's very, it's a very scientific paper. But like looking at how this works and the application it has, is just blows my mind. So in terms of uh, when it comes to emotions and uh, what you, you said, it blows your mind. And there's actually an emoji for that. There's like the, the, where, the emoji where someone's like, like head like pops off. It's crazy. It's like the, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how to even describe this one. It's the mind blown emoji, I think it's called. Oh, yeah. Anyways, nature published the study. And it's so interesting to see how even like the most prestigious journals are recognizing the societal impact of emojis and the science behind them. Uh, nature published a study that measures basically two things for facial emojis. So they wanted to know um, two things about each facial emoji. They wanted to know the arousal and the valence. So arousal means how much did it activate our emotional center of the brain? So like how strongly did we respond to it? And valence meaning, did we associate it with a positive feeling or a negative feeling? And a lot of the findings are like pretty much what you'd expect. So like the angry emoji was high arousal with negative valence. So like we felt strongly negative about the angry emoji. Uh, And the heart emoji, heart eyes emoji is the opposite. We had high arousal with positive valence. So we had strong, good feelings about it. Uh, But I have a very interesting question for you. Okay. Can you take a guess to the literal most neutral emoji that they were able to find. This, this is a facial emoji. So what, what do you think is the most neutral oh uh, emoji that they were able to find? Is it like the meh emoji where like the eyes are just slits and the mouth is just a single line? I would think so too. It's it ought to be fair. That one is pretty close to the middle, but the one that is closest to the middle, and I was quite surprised about this, it's the gasping emoji. Uh, which is Which is odd because usually I would probably say the, the gasping emoji is... Well, I, I don't know. I, 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 I use the gasping emoji a lot when I, when I talk and, you know, message people. So I associate it with just like good things usually. I don't know. But yeah, that's apparently dead center in their graph. And uh, talking about the mind blown emoji, actually, uh, this is another interesting one that I found out of the, like the 70 something that they studied. 
Uh, do you think this is a negative or positive emotion generally? Like when you, I, I don't know if you've ever used a mind blown emoji, but if you see it, do you think this is a positive thing or a negative thing? I like to think of it as a positive emoji because I usually send it when like my friends like either tell me like incredible news or something. I just like, oh my God, really? Yeah, that, that's what I thought too. But interestingly, it is on the negative side that it's it's closer to the negative side. It's not like strongly negative or anything like that, uh, but it is clearly closer to the negative side. So there's a lot of things that are interesting, a lot of things that are expected. And I think the big takeaway from this uh, fun study about emojis is that human emotion can be explained in greater detail than previously believed just by using emo emojis. And it's also the idea that like, this form of expression is quite useful because it's kind of universal because it doesn't matter what your native language is. You can use an emoji to communicate with someone, even if you don't speak the same language as them. But the big thing that they've wanted to say about this is there's tons of different cultures and tons of different populations. So, you know, we talked about how we might view the mind blown emoji as a good thing. Uh, this study was actually done with Japanese participants. So perhaps there are differences in the way we view these emojis and that's why there's a deviation and i think that's something they said they want to evaluate in the future but mm -hmm. i just thought it was really cool that they were doing this study no, that is so that sounds amazing wasn't like the word of the year for like i don't know which year it was was just like an emoji yeah something like that i, I do remember seeing something like that no, like I can have like entire conversations with just emojis back yeah, and forth. Exactly. I feel like everyone does these days, especially like if you're trying to get like a point across, but like maybe you have like a little bit of a language barrier or like you just don't, you know exactly what you want to say, but you don't know how to say it, but there's just the perfect emoji for it. Also, it's just like some some conversations. It, it's it's boring without the emojis, you know. Why not just throw in a smiley face or something like that? That that's how I feel. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. And talking about emotions, did you know that not just humans but monkeys too can choke under pressure? Wait, so like you mean like if a monkey is like nervous or something, like they will like perform worse at something? Yeah, like that's crazy. Test anxiety in monkeys. <laughs> So let's talk about it. So there was this group of scientists that wanted to investigate whether or not that, similar to humans, if whether or not monkeys can be stressed. So basically this experiment or this area would then open up to like, okay, it's not just humans who are experiencing these kinds of emotions and like it goes into like the advantages like evolutionary and all that but like let's talk about the experiment in general so georgia state university that's where these group of scientists were basically they had a group of um monkeys and they did a computerized um it's almost like a test that the monkeys had to do so they had a reward and they had a punishment. So rewards were like treats if the monkeys performed well in this computerized test. And if they didn't, they get a timeout. Oh, man. <laughs> That's so sad. <laughs> I know. Very sad. So progressively, this test would get harder and harder. And what they found is that some monkeys get really stressed out and do not perform well. And some just breeze to these tests oh, like man. humans. That's, Very similar to humans. That's also kind of sad that there's monkeys out there that are just really stressed out about this task because they just want a treat or something, you know? 
exactly. They were like, I just do not want to time out. Oh, man. So, yeah. So this comes into, like, play because not just in, like, an evolutionary standpoint is this very fascinating and interesting, but also they can study, like, different hormones and levels of stress. So basically, when you have very high cortisol level, the chances of you succeeding at your task gets lower and lower, which is in humans, basically. So this Mm -hmm. is like setting up a good animal model to study in text anxiety and like just stress in general. But yeah, just thinking about monkeys being stressed out over a test just is, is, it's Mm -hmm. very interesting. That's so cool though, because we always say like, Animals always have emotions as well, and animals feel very similar things to us as humans. That's something that we, you know, hear about a lot and something we say a lot as well. And and this just seems like it just goes to prove it even further that just, it's not just like the simple idea of like, oh, animals can also be stressed because I don't know, maybe they're stressed because there's a predator nearby, but they can, they can get test anxiety. (laughs) Like they can have these complex versions and iterations of anxiety or stress, which is very cool to just, just see how complex these animals can be as well. Yeah, and like, I don't know, it just gives you more light into like just how complex like animals can feel in general are because I feel like oftentimes we forget it. Yeah, I I totally get that. I totally get that. And yeah, June, that's my fact about monkeys for today. And that's so cool. This- experiment of how they can choke under pressure and thank you so much for joining me today june no thanks thanks for sharing all those great stories like it's, it's so cool to see these different corners of science all come together no definitely and thank you again for tuning in and remember to subscribe for more conversation and some insightful answers to your questions about the science impacting your world if you want to learn more about research and monkeys or any of the other topics we talked about on this show visit us on instagram twitter or tiktok at sci for everyone and on our website at www.scienceforeveryone.ca on the sidelines is a podcast by science for everyone it's produced by Sam Marchetti, June Kim, and Tanishari Rajendran. On the Sidelines is sponsored by the University of Toronto Student Engagement Grant.